Well, whether it's uh, here in Topeka with the High Crest Ministry that we supported this week, which affordable Christmas for that very uh, that that neighborhood in poverty that we're going to be providing this week here in Topeka or around the world in Haiti. We're also doing something with a context here at FBC at this location. As you may know, we are, we're uh, doing a building expansion to our west over here. And right now we're pouring pouring the foundation for it. And if you'd like to be involved in that, that's another expression of our Christmas offering. We'd like to have the Christmas offering cover the foundation floor of that. And so you can give, if you put uh, money in here or even give online, we want to give generously up, up to this point. We have not had to borrow any, any money for it. You guys have provided the building so far and, and we want to stave off debt as long as we can. So give generously as we think about end of the year giving above and beyond our normal tithes and offerings to the Lord here. Why are we doing this? Why are we building this? Why are we serving in our city? Why, why are we going to Haiti when we could just stay home and enjoy our families? It's because God is for us. God is for us. We want that simple news that God is for us to be shared with everyone. We want it here in our church. That's why our vision of you and two reaching two people who don't yet know Jesus, who are in our lives. I met a couple right Right in the, uh, at the end of the first service this morning, who told me, yeah, these are, these are my two. Said it right in front of them. Two. These are my two. They said, yeah, I guess we're there too. So, so some of you may be here for that. You were invited by a friend, but we want you to know that God is for you. That's what Christmas is all about. It's, it's, it's understanding that Jesus is God's gift for us. You know, that's the pivotal question that many people ask. Inside and outside the church. Maybe you've had a, a horrible year. You've had a horrible medical report. You've lost your job or something like that is happening to you. And you wonder, God, why are these things happening to me? Are, are you for me? That's a question we ask a lot. And, and the reality is, is that God is for us. The scriptures share that. Because the enduring, faithful, never-ending love of, of God sent his son to this world. To be born in Bethlehem, a savior who's Christ the Lord. Just this past year, I had the opportunity to go to Bethlehem. And uh, in that city, there was a kind of a, uh, they dug out a, in, a, in, a, in a hill, they dug out a cave that had been used for uh, shepherds and keeping their flocks. And we went into a cave like that. And uh, we went around it and they had kind of shored it up. But shepherds literally brought their sheep into these places and they laid over the entrance at night. That's where Jesus would say a good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He literally was the gate by which kept the sheep in and kept the predators out. And over that entrance, I read the Christmas story to our group and we sang Christmas carols in May. It was a great experience. And it just reminds me of Christ taking on flesh and being for us, showing us that God is for us. But even before, 700 years before he was born, the prophet Isaiah uh, announced this. He prophesied in Isaiah 9, verse 6, he says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Look at those descriptors of who Jesus would be. 
This, these certainly uh, open up our minds to the reality that God is for us. He's a wonderful counselor. A counselor comes alongside, helps you solve problems, help you view life, help you understand how to face and meet the demands of reality. A counselor always gives wisdom. A counselor wants to guide you in truth. That's Jesus. He's also a mighty God. God is for us. The same power that works in Jesus, that worked in him to defeat the power of sin and death in our lives is in us. The same power that raised him from the dead is alive and at work in us. God is for us. He's an everlasting father. It's God for us. We can come as children and boldly ask we can, we can live in confidence knowing that we're part of his family. We're not aliens. We're not strange. We're children. We're sons. We're daughters. And he's the prince of peace. One who declared peace with God, but he also declares peace with ourselves and with people around us in all of our relationships. He is a God who is for us. Let's share about the work that this Jesus did for us. Number one, he lived a life we could not live. His perfect life was lived for us. Look at what Romans 5 verses 7 through 8 says. It says, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Did you see that? Before we turned to God, God turned to us. Before we got our lives, lives right, he, he, be, he is the righteous one who lived for us. You know, instead of the question, is God for us? Maybe a better question is, are you for God? See, that's the issue with sin. Sin comes into our lives and it makes God, it kind of demands that God serves us, that he makes all my wildest dreams come true. So we pray to him and say, God, I want this. I want that. I want, I want to do this. I want to do that. And if he doesn't do it the way we want it, we get ticked at him. And we wonder, are you really for us? And the reality is we aren't for him. That's the culmination of sin in our lives. It causes us to reject God. And the world rejected Christ when he was born. And the world still rejects Christ in our day. But God was for us. And he came down even before we turned to him. He took compassion on us. Even broken, resistant people who've rejected him. And he came down and he became sin for us. He lived a life. You know, see, God requires that each of us are perfect. You go, whoa, wait a minute. No one ever told me that. Yeah, yeah. And that's why you had to have Jesus. That's why Jesus had to come to this world. He had to literally live the perfect life for you and me. And that's exactly what he did. He was without sin. He was God in the flesh who lived a life that we could not live. Perfect. Secondly, not only lived for us, he died for us. First Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. His death was for us, the righteous one, Jesus, for the unrighteous, us. And he satisfied the requirement of God of perfection. His person was righteous, perfect, holy God. His work, complete, final, enough. It brought us back to the Father. The life he lived for us, 
the death he died for us, and even the resurrection, the resurrection that we are paired with. And baptism shows that picture, that we were once dead in our sins, but now we're alive to God through Jesus Christ. Jesus rose from the grave for us. The Father's no longer against us. Through Christ, God is for us. Now, this is what what Christ has done for us, but it also shows us a larger picture that now Christ is for us. Look what Paul says in Romans 8, and that's what we began the service with. He says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Wow, that's really a statement. So folks, don't listen to the world around you or the voices even within you because the word of God shouts to you that if you have Jesus, yes, yes, God is for me. So what have you lived in the reality that God was for you? Ask ask yourself that question. What if, what would, what would my life look like if I lived in the reality that God is for me? Let's talk about that a little bit because you live your life and I live my life based on how we feel, whether or not someone is against us, even neutral to us, or they're for us. Think about when you think someone's against you. Maybe you have a boss that you think is just against you. No matter what you do, it's not getting any better. And you're just going, this is, they're against me. And you, you go, management, me. You know, and it's that, it's that what happens? You, it's real easy to make them the enemy It's real easy to make them the villain and you the victim. And you can pretty much rationalize any behavior you do because of how you perceive them. When you think someone's against you, if you think your spouse is against you, wow, there's anxiety when you're around them. There's worry. If you're, if you're more passive in nature, you'll go quiet and silence, you know, and, and withhold love from them. But if you're more aggressive, then you'll kind of attack or you criticize them. Lots of things. When you feel someone's against you, let me ask you this. When you think God's against you, how do you live your life? Man, in shame and guilt and in anger. And some have just checked out of God, not even wanting to talk about him because they always think that God is against them. But let's even move. What do you think and what what happens when, when you feel someone's neutral towards you? Boy, when you think that's almost the death kill to a marriage, when you think your spouse is kind of just neutral. Yeah, they're in my life. You want to do that? Okay. When your marriage is feeling boring and you just feel your spouse is neutral towards you, you know, it goes on one thing. You can either go back into passivity or, or you can try to sway them. You know, it becomes a marketing uh, project then and you try to market them look you can love me look look how nice of a person i am and you try to win them over but folks when someone's for you man it makes all the difference it changes your demeanor you accept them you listen to them you share life with them you become more vulnerable with them you respond to them can i just say this my i guess i will say this because i am talking right um my marriage was radically transformed when I realized my wife was for me. Just, it's simple. I I remember our first few years of marriage, it was kind of our most difficult years of marriage. We were trying to figure out this whole husband and wife, one flesh kind of thing. And and, uh, 
I was loving someone other than myself, and that was always a challenge for me. So I remember we were in ministry together, and I was running a camp, and I'm kind of an upfront, driven, you know, type A personality. My wife is a team player. She's a collaborator, excellent in administration, and she wanted to come alongside me and help me. But every time she asked me a question, hey, do you, did you think about this? And did what about this? I would interpret that like she was poking holes in my leadership. And as an insecure leader, I was really just, I was offended by that. And I would either snap at her or be quieter and go, what? And, you know, she literally had to come up to me and go, Joe, Joe, stop. Joe, I love you. I am on your team. I'm your number one fan. I am for you. And she had to say that to me about a hundred times before I really actually believed it. But once I did, Everything changed. Her questions weren't threats anymore. They were, oh, I didn't think about that. Thank you. I saw her as someone who came alongside and, and who was valuable to me and helped me be a better, better leader. And me to her also. I felt I could help her too. It wasn't my lacking. It's more her completing. And it totally changed my marriage Now, I want to just tell you, if you're going to go home and you're going to argue on the way, one of you needs to say, hey, stop, I am for you. Because that changes how your relationship is. We need to be communicating that in all of our relationships. It makes a world of difference. And you know, with my relationship with God, it's taken that turn also. When I realized God was for me, he's no longer against me, and he's not even neutral towards me, he's for me. As my heavenly father, it changed. Grace changes everything. His undeserved love. God loves you. And there's nothing you can do about that. (laughs) His, His unswerving, faithful love has changed my life. And there's three areas it's changed. There's three tweaks that have just radical tweaks that have changed everything in my relationship with God. I want to share them with you because I believe they can happen in your life too. When you understand and you live in the reality that God's for you. First one is this. It'll change you from performing to peaceful. My life changed from performing with God to being peaceful as his child. And it's all because Jesus is God's gift for us declared peace he's the great prince of peace and in ephesians 2 paul says this in verse 14 for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two so making peace But here's, look at this. Look at how even deeper it is. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Boy, there was hostility between God and man. And it led led, uh, Israel to really think, boy, this law and this commandment you gave us, it it, it really focused their relationship on Christ with their performance. Did they obey the law or didn't they? Did they do rituals or didn't they? And God through Christ was saying, no, it's, it's not about the law. Jesus complete, completed and fulfilled the law in his life and his death. He declared peace with God. 
There's no other sacrifice we need. There's no other performance we need. You need to start living with the peace that Jesus came to declare in your life. You see, when we're peaceful with Christ versus performing, man, we don't, on our best day when we're performing, what happens? We tend to bask in our own self-righteousness. Look what I have done. And we start to expect from God, you owe it to me. You need to be good to me. And on our worst day, what do we do? We sink into shame, don't we? See, we're called to stop performing, to stop trying, and to start trusting. Jesus destroyed the hostility. He declared peace. We're no longer at war with God. We're called to be in a loving, thriving, joyful, and life-giving relationship with Him. Boy, was that a change in my life. To go from performing to peaceful. As long as I was performing, I was also doing something else. I was doubting. I was doubting. And that's the second change. Is I went from doubting to dependent. You see, if God is neutral for you, uh, toward you or even against you, there's always going to be doubt. Am I in? Am I out? Did I do enough or not enough? How could I do such a thing when you mess up? How could God forgive me when you really mess up? What do I have to do to make this right? And you know, most of the world's religions are based around that whole concept of what do I got to do to make things right with God? There's always doubt in that system. Some of you grew up in churches like that. Am I imminent? And sin, the reality of your sin is overwhelming to you. And you wonder, I got to go to church. I got to ask someone for forgiveness. I got to do this. And it's you're always in doubt. You're never for sure. There's not that dependence on the person and the work of Christ. But Paul says this. Paul called Jesus the righteousness of God. He says the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. He says there's no distinction. He lumps us all into this. Verse 23, he says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But then he shows us a picture of hope and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. See, that's what salvation is. That's what Jesus is. He's the gift from God to eternal life for all of us. And a gift is something that you don't pay for. That's a purchase. When you go, thank you, here's 20. Hope that covers it. A, a gift is not an income, which you work for. A gift is a gift. It's free of charge. That's Jesus. He's done everything for you. He's a picture of God being for you. You have to depend on his work. Doubting feeds a destructive cycle of you're in, you're out. But the reality is, is Romans 3, 22 through 24 shares. Shares, shares the simple truth. Depend on the work of Jesus. It's for anyone who believes. Isn't that inclusive to anyone who believes? Grace is received as a gift. It's not in performing. You don't have to doubt. Simply believe in Christ. But after performing, after doubting, there's also comparing. And this is the third area that changed in my life. I went from comparing myself with others to confident as a child of God. You know, and in Hebrews ten thirty five, the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. What the writer of Hebrews is really doing was calling them away from comparing their lives. 
of going back, once they had Christ, going back into the law, going back into religion, going back into rituals, which discounted the work of Christ. When we do that, what happens? We throw away the confidence. Your confidence is that God is for us in Christ. Later on in verse 39 of that same chapter, he says, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Comparing one to another shrinks us away from God and lowers him and ourselves. See, when you choose... When you choose to compare your life with someone else's, and we can do this, especially in the church, you kind of become like with God, like that child when mom comes home. You go, mom, well, you were gone. They did this. And you kind of hold that up and go, I didn't do that. I did all my chores. And you start comparing one to another. It just breeds a picture of self-righteousness and your whole confidence in life is based on your works. When you realize God is for you and there's nothing you can do about that, guess what? To quote the great theologian Aaron Rodgers of the Green Bay Packers, (laughs) you can relax. You're a child of God. You're a child of God. And you're going to have a whole bunch of challenges. Your life is going to have great, great times and it's going to have huge times of struggle. If you think God is for you, not for you, neutral, against you, you're, you're going to waver with the times and your faith is not going to be strong. It certainly won't be confident. God wants his children to know. He wants his children to know that he is for us. Confidence every day, every circumstance, every person in your life. God can use you as his child with confidence, not with comparing What difference does that make? Wow, it's the difference of peace, dependence, and confidence in Christ. One of the things I talk to fathers about is I've done several um, Bible studies with dads is um, the three stages of being a father. And when your kids are really young, you're kind of in control and you're controlling everything. You control when they wake up, when they go to bed. Well, mostly when do they go to bed. And you control what they're going to eat, where you're going to go as a family. You strap them into a seat and you're in control, right? But then when your kid gets to be around 10 years old, you have to move to coach. You can't be this controlling helicopter parent from ages 10 through 18. Some of you are, and you need to stop, but you you need to be that coach. You're no longer in the game. You're no longer in control. You're on the sidelines. You're cheering. You're calling in plays every once in a while, and your kid's listening for the most part about that, and you're, you're that coach. But once your kid reaches 18, guess what you become? You become a consultant. And if you still try to be a coach after 18, there are going to be problems. Trust me. I remember when I started in ministry and I started preaching and um, my dad would call me. He said, hey, I heard you preach this past week and send me the tape. So I'd send him the tape and this is what I'd get. Hey, uh, yeah, it was it was good um, that that first the first year opening there was kind of fell flat. And then that passage, you know, instead of that passage, I like this other passage. That would have worked a little bit better. And then that illustration, man, it kind of sounded like you're still teaching in a high school group and not in a church. And there would be kind of quietness on my side of the phone. 
And it wasn't really encouraging me. And, and I was tempted to feel amidst all that, that my dad was no longer for me. And just that feeling, guess what happened? I stopped sending tapes. Hey, I heard you preached. Can I get a tape? I'll find it one of these days and send it out to you. And then after a while, hey, it's been several weeks. You haven't sent that tape. I said, well, I'm not going to send it anymore. What? I said, Dad, when you listen to my tape and, and I get 10 things that I could improve on and two things that were pretty good, man, I get this feeling that you don't think I'm a good pastor, a good preacher. And by the way, I have plenty of people who tell me that. I don't need it from my own dad. And it got quiet on his end of the phone then. And I got off the conversation and my mom called me back later. She goes, what did you say to dad? I said, well, I just tell him how I feel because this is kind of big to me. I didn't honestly feel like he's for me right now. And uh, she goes, man, he, he wept. And he, my dad called me then. And he said, Joe, man, I am so sorry. I had no idea I was sounding like I wasn't for you. You're my son. I take great pride in you. I have great joy in you. I love seeing God use you. I am on your team. I am so for you. And I interpret that meaning so for you that I can come in and call a play here and there and there and there and just make you better at what you're already really good at. And it changed. And it changed. My relationship with my father changed when I knew, and he even said it over and over, I am for you. You know, right now, I call my dad, and I let him have full angles in my life. Like, man, dad, I'm thinking about this next decision. Here's where I think I'm going, and I'm open even to some really good constructive criticism on a plan. It's because I know he's for me. Do you see what happens with your father when you know he's for you? Parents, What could happen in your kids' lives, whatever age they are? I'm 49 years old, and it still means something to me to have my parents be for me. still does. There's just a blessing there and an influence that you all have. Some of you are aunts and uncles, and the blessing you could be in your families, as I have been in my own. You don't have to be married to be a blessing like this. But the reality is, when you are When you're for people, when you're for your children, it has a huge influence. Huge influence. Now think with me. To know that your heavenly Father is for you. And we're going to learn that He's also with us. Man, that makes all the difference in the world. Maybe you're here today and it's the first time you've really understood that God through Christ is for you. What do you do with that? How do you respond? Well, I'm going to ask you to respond. I'm going to ask you by faith right now to stop trying to perform. No longer compare yourself with people around you. You can have confidence right now that Jesus Christ lived a perfect life for you. He died on a cross for you and he rose from the dead for you. And you, by faith, can trust him. You can receive it just like a gift. Nothing you earn or deserve or pay for. You simply say, I believe. I believe Jesus really is. His life was perfect for me. His death 
was complete on the cross for me and he rose from the dead for me. I believe that. And if you believe that, whatever that's going to look like after you trust him, if you believe that, you're a child of God. That's the change. It's a change of your heart. It's a change of your mind. It's a change of how you view Christ. And when you trust in him, you have a God who is for you. By the way, if that's you and and you do that for the first time, would you check that box? Because we love to come alongside you. And we've got, uh, we've got a, a, a thing for your first 50 days with Jesus, what that looks like. We'd love to come alongside you as you take your first steps as a child of God. Now, think with me. Those of you who already know Christ, and you now know that God is for you. Since God's for me, guess what? I'll be for you. That's the church. That's the whole relationship of brothers and sisters related because of Christ in the church. That, that since God is for us, I'll be for you. And so the church is called to be unified, to, be, to, to love one another, to bear with one another, to be committed to one another. Because God is for me, I'm going to be for you. That means we, we stomp out the, the critical spirits. We stomp out the, the thoughts or the words that tear people down. And we, through Christ, build people up. That means we show up willing to serve, not to be served. That means we move to places outside of this church, like Highcrest neighborhood or Haiti. And we go to places like this and we're for people there. We'll represent people. We'll love people there because God's for us. It makes all the difference in the world. So church, live in the light of reality that God is for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for the gift of Jesus. Jesus who lived who died and rose from the dead for us, the same Jesus who convinces us that you are for us. May we know that. As your children, may we follow you. May we speak love daily to everyone in our lives that we're for them because you are for us. May we speak truth and express, even in the context of confrontations or conflict, that we are for the people in our lives, because God is for us. We praise you. For it's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. Let's stand and worship together. We're, we're going to take some time here while we're worshiping to really focus on what it is that's keeping us from being confident and dependent on the Lord. Uh, so as we sing, um, just take a minute to pray and, and think about those things and give that over to the Lord.